Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome into another edition of Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. I'm your host, Neil McCrady. Today on the show, Martin Palomo joins us as always from Pinnacle Trust. We'll, uh, we'll get to Martin in a moment. Our, uh, our guest today, and we'll see if I can get this right, because people always mispronounce my name. And so it's a, it's a uh, pet peeve of mine, Marcos Veramus. You got it. I got it. How about that? The uh, managing director, he used to be the managing director at uh, Cambridge for more than 13 and a half years. He's joining a new firm in uh, in a couple of weeks, May 1st. He's not allowed to say what that firm is, but we'll talk about uh, some, um, we'll talk about a lot of things. With There's a lot going on. We had a little five-minute pre-show where we touched about 15 subjects, so there's there's a ton to, that we could talk to. We'll see what we get to. Uh, a lot of the SBA loan stuff is is people are, are getting feedback on that today, and they're not particularly liking uh, what they're hearing. I'm I'm in that group. Uh, then there's there's just a lot going on about the how just how much longer we as a as a country can do what we're doing right now before we basically have to reopen. What does that mean? What does reopening mean? I mean, I, there's a lot of things that we can get to that we'll get to today. On mind on my money. First, I want to tell you that I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's going to be right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. The next time that you are in the market for a vehicle, do us a favor. Do yourself a favor. Call Corey, even if you're not looking at Ford. Get a quote on a similar vehicle. That way you'll get a feel for uh, as you head into the into the market, you won't get screwed because there's some bad people in in uh, in that field that will come after you and try to take advantage of you. And you just might end up doing what I've done uh, several times now, and that's get into a Clark Ford. You'll love the product. You'll love the service after the sale. Corey always says he wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. He'll prove that to you, 662 257 1900 and uh martin before we get started tell the people about pinnacle trust and how they can get in touch with you absolutely <clears throat> always happy to be back on uh neil it feels like as i've said i think i've said this every week when we've recorded um that this is about the only uh routine that seems that i've kept uh through all of this so uh, i do look forward to recording each tuesday money i'm morning i'm really excited um to have Marcos on with us today. Um, I kind of started my career, uh, in the same firm that, uh, that Marcos was in and, and, uh, with, he was also a mentor as well and, and a good friend. And I'm excited that we get to steal him and steal some of his time as a guest. Um, but I'll talk a little, let me talk a little bit about Pinnacle as well. Um, you know, we are uh, a firm that was started, uh, by Stacy, Stacy wall, uh, in 1997, Stacy kind of had this vision, to create uh, a wealth management firm that had interests aligned with our clients. So, you know, we don't have any of the um, transactional business commissions, upfront commissions or anything like that. We want to be on the same side of the table as our clients. So, you know, when our clients are enjoying uh, good markets and good returns, um, we are enjoying that as well. And then also in times like this, you know, when our client portfolios are down, um, you know, we're, we're in the ride with them. Our, our, our income is, is attached to uh, their portfolios. That, that kind of puts us in a position of uh, not being uh, overly aggressive with clients uh, as it comes to their investments. And then also uh, it kind of wants, it puts us in a position to want to protect and grow um, our clients' savings because that protects and, glow, and grows our clients, um, I mean, our income. You know, one of the things that I feel like we've done really good through this whole process is communication. Um, we've been able to leverage the technology that we have, whether it's through the podcast, um, using our equipment uh, to, to communicate to clients and communicate to, um, you know, even folks that are not our clients that are still getting information, our thoughts, um, you know, getting value from 
folks that we have on the podcast. Um, you know, if you're doing it, if you're doing it yourself and your stomach is churning and you say, I don't want to do this anymore. Or if, you know, if you've got an advisor that, that you haven't heard from in a while and he's hiding under his desk, um, give us an, give us a call, give us an opportunity to, to earn the business. Um, you can get us the old fashioned way on the telephone, 601-957-0323. Uh, you can also reach us through email info at P I N N trust.com. Uh, we are also really, really active on social media. So you can find us on Facebook, um, go to our page, Pinnacle Trust, or you can find us at the Mind on My Money podcast um, page, and you can message us uh, through there. So, you know, if, you, if you've gotten a lot of gray hair in the last uh, six, seven weeks because you're managing your own portfolio and maybe just say, hey, you want someone to step in and, and, uh, and take over the gray hair part, we would be, we would be happy to partner with you uh, with that. So give us a call, 601-957-0323 or catch us on one of the other mediums. Uh, Marcos, welcome into the show, man. Hey, Martin. Great to see you again, man. Absolutely. And I it wasn't too long ago that I bumped into you in... Uh, in Memphis. Uh, in Memphis, that's yeah. right. That was uh, maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago. Gosh, yeah, I don't even remember, man. It, was, uh, it probably was a year and a half, two years, something like that. Um, yeah, it's good to see you, my friend. Good to hear your voice. And, and man, I'm super grateful... Uh, that you're going to spend a little time with us this morning. Uh, Neil, did you want to kick anything in before um, before we start? Or I didn't mean to uh, cut you off. No, 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 you didn't cut me off. Okay. Let, let's let's just real quick. Let's since it's kind of breaking today and it impacts a lot of people. A lot of people who applied for the SBA idle loan are yep. uh, are, are getting an email today <laughs> that they read and they go, "Oh, come on." Because yeah. they, you know, small businesses, they were uh, applying for the $10,000 loan slash grant, however you want to call that. Yeah, the a, quick uh, advance. The quick advance, very easily forgivable loan. Yep. Uh, and now they're finding out that it's going to be limited to $1,000 per employee. And for a lot of small businesses, especially self-owned businesses, there aren't but one yeah, or two one employees. Yep. And there's a big difference between... 10, you know, like, and two. well, like for me, I mean, I have technically at my, at my business, one employee because it's me because everybody else who works for me works for me as an independent contractor. Right. And so there's a big difference between getting $1,000 and getting $10,000, obviously. Um, what we're hearing is that there, there's just been more demand for the money than, than anyone thought, than they were prepared for. And, um, it really begs a couple of questions. One, just how unprepared for the demand was the government? And then two, the obvious question, how much longer can we do this? Yeah, so I have some thoughts on this. I'll, I'll give you some numbers, okay? And we were talking about it right before we started, but I mentioned this J.P. Morgan study that um, they analyzed 600,000 small businesses in the U.S., and they, they looked at how much cash they have to operate. And the results were not that encouraging in the sense that, you know, the median number of businesses, so if you, if you look at straight in the middle, had about 27 days of cash, and then about a quarter had uh, less than 13 days of cash, and yep. then restaurants yep. had 16 days of cash. So yep. time is against you in this situation. Yep. And the longer it goes, the more stress it puts on businesses and bankruptcies are, are starting to happen and they will continue. So time uh, is paramount. You know, the longer you have these things, everything closed, the tougher it gets. Now, going to the question of the loans, I think that if you want to keep the economy closed for, for a long time to fight the disease and kind of flatten the curve, you need to give more money. It's not enough just the numbers don't work out. And I know it's not easy for for government officials to do that, but it's just the numbers. Yeah, and I think, you know, Marcos, we saw um, there was uh, the misstep that happened uh, end of the week last week. It feels like everything moves at the speed of light, so I'm saying end of the week, and it could have been, you know, over the weekend, but I'm almost positive it was end of the week where uh, the, the Treasury went back to, our Treasury Secretary went back to, um, to, uh, to the Senate and said, Hey, we need to 
to get more funding, you know, into the small business relief. And, uh, and for whatever reason, I won't get the political about it. It just didn't happen. There was uh, it did not get through Senate and maybe they'll run back, run that back through again this week. I can't see that they wouldn't, but it was my understanding that, uh, the additional funding was already, um, you know, appropriated, I guess in the initial, but, uh, but it just wasn't activated per se, um, in the first round. They, and I don't, I don't think that they realized that, uh, there was going to be as high of a demand for, um, you know, for help. But I think you're right, Marcos. I think, uh, you know, the longer this thing drags out, um, you know, the more, the more funds that, uh, if, I mean, if the, if the government wants us to return to a somewhat, uh, normal economy at some point, they're going to have to throw, they're going to have to throw a lot more, more money at it. Um, you know, and I've, one of the things that I've, I don't know, I'm real, I'm real torn right now, um, on where I stand with this too, because I, I see both sides and I really see the economic impact more than the, you know, than the health impact. But, you know, there's, it's very, it's a very, it feels like a very divided country as well. You see, there's a lot of people saying, keep us shut down. And then, you know, I think the folks that own businesses or manage businesses or understand how the economy works too, are saying, we can't, we can't, we can't stay shut down like this. Um, it's just going to be catastrophic. It's a very tough decision for policymakers, right? It's yes. very tough yep. because there are lives at stake. Correct. But the thing is that you need to weigh everything. Yeah, there's no easy way out of this. You need to weigh everything because if businesses start getting bankrupt, unemployment shoots up the roof, people are going to die of heart attacks yep. and other diseases. You know, it's, um, yeah, I agree. it's not an easy decision. You know, you can't just be on one camp and support just one way forward. It needs to be balanced out. You know, my question, my question, Marcos and Martin, is, and, I, and I, again, I, none of us are epidemiologists. None no. of us are. And I, don't I, would, play I, would venture, I would venture to guess that all three of us have, have learned more about epidemiology and, and, and diseases, viruses of this note in the last month than we had in our, in our collective our life. lives before yep. that. That being said, originally the talk was, hey, we got to flatten the curve. Yep. We got to flatten the curve. If we flatten the curve, we stop the hospitals yep. from getting overwhelmed. If we stop the hospitals from getting overwhelmed, we're a people are going to continue to catch the coronavirus, but we'll be able to treat them because ICU beds will become available. Uh, ventilators will be available. We'll be able to save lives. And I think we all agree that saving lives is paramount. It's very important. Now, what concerns me a little is that I hear language changing from let's flatten the curve to let's eradicate the virus. And if the goal is, and, and obviously the goal is to eradicate the virus at some point, but if we right. can't resume anything until we eradicate the virus, well, eradicating the virus could take 18 months or more. It could, eradicating the virus could take forever, technically. Um, getting everyone Im immunized is at, at a minimum a year from now, and that's everything goes great. And again, this isn't political. This isn't about cutting red tape or not cutting red tape or any of that but but medically to to come up with a with a great vaccine you do have to do uh you have to do medical trials you have to study it it does take time the science science can't be expedited too much so if that's the case then we've changed the we're, we're moving the goalpost on this and it, when you move the goalpost in the middle of the game, it can get kind of frustrating for the teams that are playing. And, and, and that's, that's what's happening right now is we were told, hey, here's the goalpost. It's right here. And now as we get closer to that goalpost, no, let's move it back. I'm kind of tired of hearing, hey, man, two more weeks, two more weeks, two more weeks. At what expense? And, and, and I, this is where I've come back with <clears> – <throat> I was for the shutdown when we did it. I, I, I yep. know a lot of people weren't. I was like, no, we need to do it because I understood the flattening of the curve. But I now look at a lot of the graphs and the bars and things, and it looks like the curve's getting pretty flat. And so shouldn't we start talking about whether it's May 1st or whatnot? Shouldn't we start talking about, hey, we got to get back. We got to start opening some things up, and there's a way to do it. There's a rollout. The, the president made a reference to some sort of a press conference later this week where I'm sure he and, the, and CNN will fight for two hours about it. But um, 
you know, yeah. at, at some point we've got to get to that place. And I think that point's coming up here pretty quick. It's coming up pretty quick, uh, very quick, actually, because as we mentioned before, the longer this takes, the more uh, bad the effects on the economy are going to be. And at some point, if it lasts for too long, they're going to be very bad. So uh, the question is, when do you stop it? And I agree with you. I think if we've seen a flattening of the curve, then the next step is to start getting back into action, you know, with, with certain measures. For example, you know, sure. if you go to the office, wear a mask, wear gloves. People who are at high risk shouldn't go to the office or stay at home. But there must be some sort of a return to normality within the next few weeks. Um, because otherwise, we'll have to deal with an economic disaster of major proportions. Yeah, <clears throat> which is going to bring on a whole different set of problems. And we and and, and Marcos, not that you weren't on this show, but you know, uh, Neil and I had a guest a few weeks back where we were actually talking about the um, you know the mental health damage that uh, that could potentially come out of you know just being shut down for long. And there and there'll be there would be other more, a lot more drastic effects than just you know mental health issues if if we stay shut down. There's going to be you know, people lose their, their lives. I mean, not just physically lose their lives, but they lose their, you know, their, their way of life, their home, their, you know, and that's a domino effect when, when income doesn't come in and then, you know, utilities don't get paid or rent doesn't get paid. Someone ends up having, you know, to pay for that as well. Um, and I think that there is a balance. I don't know what that balance is. I was, I was looking at Israel's plan this morning. Um, and, and I thought I thought it was very thoughtful, uh, the way that they uh, are staging their reopen. And um, and I won't quote it exactly because I can't remember exact order, but it was something like, um, you know, the first two weeks it was, you know, let's just say, you know, so the hospitals and grocery stores and you know gas stations and those things are already are are already open. But so let's say you know the first two weeks it was, um, you know, your manufacturing facilities that opened back up and then. Then in another two weeks, it was a different wave. It was, you know, something additional. Uh, and it was other additional, um, you know, businesses that were opening back up. So it was kind of a, it looked like it was like a wading or tiptoeing, you know, into the water um, versus just a slam, you know, and I kind of look at it like a diesel engine. You know, we were able to, we shut this thing down, but starting it back up, if you start a diesel engine back up, you have to let the glow bugs warm up and then you can crank the engine. I imagine this is going to be, uh, you know, somewhat similar. Um, it, it won't just flip a switch and, you know, immediately turn back on. And then I'm also kind of interested in what is it going to look like for, you know, for businesses going forward? You know, we've seen all of these uh, businesses that were stale saying, hey, you have to come into the office. You cannot work for us if you you are not physically in the office. And then this happens and everyone scrambles and learns how to work remotely, um, I think some of the good things that have come in, I know for me, I've been a lot more efficient working from home than in the office because in the office, I get super distracted by stuff. I'll, I'll be interested to see what the economy is, you know, what we look like when we come back to. I don't think we'll look, I don't think we'll look the same. I think this will have a, an impact on the way we look going forward. I totally agree. And I think, yeah, as you said, Martin, we're seeing the signs, you know, remote work, uh, from what I hear from others and from what I've seen um, in terms of myself uh, is that remote work has worked much better than we would have expected. Yeah, I, right? I agree with that. I agree with that. I um, think um, I think organ large organizations are functioning with everybody at home and they're functioning fine. Yeah. Uh, things are being done. People you know, work from home quite well. So if that's the case, then, you know, if I was a business person after this and things return to normal, I'd say, well, do we really need that in-person meeting? Do we really need to spend this money? Do we need to get, get you know, 10 people on a flight to go visit a client? Um, maybe we do, but we don't need to do it, you know, every month. Yeah. We might need to do it once a year. Sure. So I think um, remote work is definitely going to become stronger out of this is my perspective. Uh, but that doesn't mean, of course, that the human touch is going to disappear. No, I totally know? agree. I totally agree. Um, and I know, like, for us, at least, you know, there is something about being face-to-face -face with your client. 
uh, as well. And I mean, I know that when you were at Cambridge as well, Marcos, that it was, you know, those quarterly meetings when you'd go meet with investment, with boards and investment committees, it was, you know, you could do a lot of it via telephone or, or video, but, um, you know, something about being there face to face to that human contact, human interaction does, does mean something as well. And I mean, I think, you know, if I was, uh, if I was king of the world or, um, you know, was running the show at a business, uh, I could very much say, Hey, we're going to do two weeks or two days at the office a week. And then you have three days where you get to, um, you know, have uh, have flex. You can work at your schedule, work remotely. Cause I know like for me, one thing that's happened is I've, I've had every meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner with my family face to face at home, which never happened before. That has been phenomenal. Um, I've been able to do my work very efficiently. I've had time to even exercise more than, than normal. And, uh, it's, you know, the, I've, I kind of like it. I like, uh, I like the quality of life that has been kind of afforded through this realizing that, Hey, my work hasn't suffered. Um, you know, we've leveraged technology, but my work hasn't suffered. I hear you totally. And I'm in the same camp. You know, I, I used to travel a lot and what I, you know, Martin, how it was. Yep. I used to travel, not just a lot. Like I used yeah. to be on a plane half, half the year and yep. I have two young daughters and, uh, I really wanted to spend much more time with them. And now with this um, lockup, you know, I've been at home every day and I'm seeing them every day and we go out every day, we walk. And it's been a wonderful uh, time with my daughters. Um, now, at the same time, you don't want to look at your 401k. Yeah, this is very true. <laughs> you, you know, but, but on the other hand, um, it has the benefits that you described, you know, the, the spending time with family, while at the same time, you know, completing your work. Yeah. So in, in that sense, it's been a blessing. Uh, of course, you know, you can't forget what is going on in the economy. And we're lucky because we're in the finance world and, uh, yep. you know, we have money around. We can advise people over Zoom or the phone. But uh, I know that there are people out there in, in retail and in tourism and uh, yeah. that yeah. are being, you know, facing really really tough times i mean and you can't ignore that right if you own a jewelry store it's really hard to it's 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 hard to to sell your to sell your jewelry uh, via zoom it's 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 yeah. difficult to fit you know someone's ring over zoom it's, exactly it's, no absolutely uh, absolutely you know, it's just, it, those are and those are the places where if i'm just honest I, I i think it's time to be able to let those places reopen it's going to be hard enough for them to to, to get people to come back and yeah and spend money on on quote non-necessities as it is right it's going to be difficult to get somebody to go to the, the, a, a glasses store and buy sunglasses uh it's going there's going to be some trust issues at the doctor at the dentist office for a little while people are going uh, exactly, to be exactly could could go on for a year or two right yeah I mean, still a vaccine is found uh, these businesses are going to suffer right now. They're suffering in an unprecedented way, meaning it's never happened, at least in my lifetime. And I think right. in my parents' lifetime or my grandparents' lifetime, it's never happened that revenues for some businesses have gone to zero, right? In one day yep. or almost zero, you know, even in 08, 09, you had like a fall <laughs> in economic activity, but you know, the retailer was losing you know, 20% of their sales or a quarter of their sales for an extended period of time. But you never had a shock of this magnitude where the shops are closed, their revenues go to zero, their fixed costs are still there yep. because they need to pay the rent and they need to pay the electricity. Yep. And so it's just unprecedented for some of these businesses. And it's going to hurt even if the economy opens up. I'm, I'm, I agree with you because... It's not going to go back. Revenues aren't going to go back to the pre-COVID days. Correct. They're going to people are going to be reluctant to walk in the dentist and uh, they're going to be reluctant to go in a shop. There's going to be less in terms of sales for a year or so. Yeah, I don't disagree. Both, let, me, let, me, let me ask both of you guys something, because Marcos touches on a really fascinating topic to me that goes beyond money and it goes beyond, uh, you know, government programs and, and all of these things goes beyond all of that this goes into personal confidence let's just say that we quote open up in quote the economy again the the, the 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 country the markets 
how confident will either one of you guys be going into a restaurant, sitting down in a restaurant to eat? How confident will either one of you guys be? We just mentioned two shops. So let's let's take those two shops as an example. Let's say you, you want to go in and you want to buy something for your wife or your daughter or your or, or, or whoever at a jewelry store, or you want to go buy yourself that pair of uh, uh, sunglasses that you've been wanting you know for your for the summer or, or or how confident are you in taking that beach trip that you and your family had planned before covid you know you'd been back in january you said hey we're gonna go down to i don't know fill in your favorite beach of the of, of the in the blank how confident are you in those types of things today that's a really good question and i think it's a question everybody should ask themselves I think we're going to be doing, if, if, if I put myself in that position, you know, when the economy opens up, I would tell you that I'd be going to, uh, you know, I would be more cautious. I'd be probably doing less in terms of going out, eating in restaurants and shopping. I'd go in there and maybe I'd have gloves on. Maybe I'd take the merchandise out and I'd wipe it. These all, all these things are frictions, right, in the economy. Yep. and. Uh, this translates to me, uh, I hate to say it, but it translates to an extended period of time of reduced sales for physical businesses. And, and that, is, that is really concerning, right? Because no matter how much money is pumped into the system, in the end, if you don't want to go to a restaurant because you're scared of catching the virus, you're not going to go no, no matter how much money you have. Right, right. So it's 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 really it's really unpleasant, you know. It's really unpleasant. I do hope, and I do believe that things are gonna get much better. Meaning, at, restaurants are actually gonna be open, and maybe they're gonna be half full. Yeah. But they're yeah. not gonna be shut. So, hopefully, that's gonna happen. And then, you know, the hope is that after a year or less, things are gonna start booming again. But in the meantime, it's it's going to be a very rough time for for a lot of people. Yeah, I I, I agree, Marcus. I think that I think that I think that we're going to have. Um, I think it's going to be a, a, a real tough summer. Uh, I think it's going to be a probably a tough fall as well. Um, I have hope that winter will will bring on what I would expect to be in the quote unquote spring. The hope of spring will come in the winter, or it may be it may be spring. Um, but you know there are things I think that I think that businesses will also adapt, and I think that they will they will try to do things to gain the confidence, um, you know, of 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 the consumer back. And I also I'll talk about some of the so I'm a Disney fanatic. Uh, our listeners kind of know that uh, Marcos, you may not know that. Um, uh, I I love I love Disney, and they they end up somehow with almost all of my disposable income in some form or fashion. And, um, so one of the things that, uh, we talked about was, you know, in my family was, um, we don't have another vacation planned for the year, uh, to Disney, but, uh, I was talking about, well, you know, maybe once this thing is over, I'm going to need, uh, an escape from reality. And what, a, what, a, what better place to escape reality and have a little magic than, than Disney. And, uh, my wife is a little more apprehensive than I am. Um, you know, I'm kind of a, let's dive into the pool and then we'll figure out if it's a two foot deep pool or a 10 foot deep pool. And, um, you know, but one of the things that Disney, uh, just released in the last few days was they're talking about when they open park parks back up, uh, there will be, you know, they'll have scanners for folks to walk through measuring fever. Um, you know, so if you have fever and I realize that that doesn't necessarily catch everything because folks can be asymptomatic and, and have it. But I think that things like that are examples of ways that, you know, uh, businesses will help, uh, gain some confidence back. Or, you know, if it's the restaurants that say, Hey, we're going to seat every other table and we're going to go in and put these, um, you know, like plexiglass dividers in between each table and your server is going to come to you and your server will have gloves on, maybe even a, a mask. Who knows? I think there will be things that will happen um, that will that businesses will do to try to help gain some confidence to, hey, come back in. It's safe. You know, we're cleaning. We're, we're doing all the things that we need to do to protect you. And they will physically show that as well. Even if it's just a 
a meaningless, um, you know, something that's meaningless in regards to does it really help you, but it's a physical sign that says, you know, hey, we're we're thinking about being, you know, protecting you and protecting your health. Uh, I think that'll, I think that'll go a long way, and I think that you'll st- you'll see businesses do things that we haven't ever seen businesses do you know, before. And I think there will be some great things that come out of this as well. It'll change the, the way the world looks and the economy. Look. I mean, I guess kind of like the, the, the only event that I have to compare this to is, you know, how travel changed after nine 11. Um, you know, that was, and maybe that's, what's going to be, what's going to happen here. Yeah. I think you're making some great points and I totally agree with you. You know, we've been talking a bit pessimistically, I'd say, but uh, I want to be clear. I'm an optimist in general, and and I think, <laughs> and I think no, really. Yeah, me, no, think, me too, man. Me too. And I think the entrepreneurial nature of people always, always yeah. wins, always wins. And I exactly, you know, businesses are going to figure out new ways of serving customers, of making customers feel much better. Um, as soon as we open up, yeah. the, thing, the important thing is to open up. Yeah, to and get then there. People are gonna figure out new ways of doing things. The other thing I want to mention to you guys, and, and um, it's just a historical uh, point I want to make, a, a, just a data point. Uh, obviously, every situation is different, but right. I was reading that the 1918 Spanish flu, which killed about 50 million people worldwide, it was much worse. The recession in the United States that uh, in 1918 lasted for only about seven months, which was, in a historical context, the second um, short, like shortest, yeah. shortest recession in in the U.S. history, so things did bounce back very aggressively, and it was a much worse, a much worse disease than this one. So, you look at these uh, numbers from then, and uh, you look you look at the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial nature of people, and I think, and the money that's being printed and so on, and I think there's a good case to be made that things are going to bounce back. Uh, so that's my hope. Yeah, and if you go back in 1918, it was also World War One was going on. Yeah, and uh, you know we had the Roaring Twenties. I mean, we all remember that from our history books, yeah. right? We had the Roaring Twenties, and and then followed by the Great Depression, followed by World War Two. And I mean, that's the way our. our I, I just I something you said about the entrepreneurial spirit. I completely agree, Marcos. It's one of those things where we all learn. I mean, I'm in media. Uh, you know, I was a newspaper guy. I mean, I loved I loved newspapers. It remains the most fun I ever had as a, as a writer was was working for newspapers with deadlines and all that. But you 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 adapt or die. You adapt or die. And and uh, people that work in retail right now, when 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 this opens back up, they're going to have to do things from an adaptation standpoint to make people feel safe walking into their stores. And then over the course of time. Um, there will be, and we'll we'll go back to doing what we've always done. We'll assume we're safe. Yeah. Because if you assume, if you you know, proven to be safe for a while, you start to assume it. And there's a lot of things that I'm really just from a because I'm weird, interested in. I am fascinated to see like when you guys go back on the road and you go meet with your clients and you walk in and you see that client the first time in a year or 18 months or whatnot. Do you shake hands? Do you uh, do people hug? I, I am I am absolutely fascinated by to see what some of the human interaction is going to look like on the other side of this because we have we have changed. It's in much the same way that there are a lot of people out there that that are working from home for the first time. I've been working from home for years, and so this has not been for me that big of a of an adjustment. Other than I don't have sports to cover. But in terms of what I do, I've been podcasting from this spot for a while. And so there's not a lot of new stuff. I've learned how to avoid the distraction of televisions and all of that and get my workout in in the middle of the day and all of those things. This has not been a tremendous adjustment for a lot of people. It it has been. And now they've begun. I mean, it's scientifically proven. You make a new habit in three weeks. Takes three weeks to form a habit, three weeks to break a habit. That's pretty much science. And so a lot of people now have these new habits. I like my new working, habits. Yeah, from working at home. And it's just going to be fascinating to sort of see what it looks like, like you were saying, Martin, what it looks like moving forward. But but it is not going to look the same. The people that, that keep going, hey, we're going to get back to normal. 
and I've said that too. I've made the mistake. Yeah. I've had to correct mm. myself and say, well, we're going to get back to our new normal. Whatever it looks we like. Don't we don't know what that is yet. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there will definitely be changes. Um, and hopefully the, the optimistic scenario here is we're going to get back into action soon. And people are going to figure out new ways of doing things. Yeah. And we'll get back to normal in a short period of time in terms of economic output and activity and unemployment and so on. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I agree. And, you know, and I wonder sometimes too, like, so I think back to, you know, the elevator operators, um, you know, decades ago, that was a, you know, respected full-time job. Um, and then like my kids, if I ask them, Hey, <clears throat> uh, tell me about an elevator operator they would look at me really weird and probably think I'm referring to some type of, you know, motherboard or something that runs, you know, the elevator, which is, I guess, in reality, true. Um, but those folks were just repurposed. I mean, um, you know, elevator operators, once that no longer became a necessity when innovation came along, you know, they didn't just drop off of the face of the earth. They were repurposed somewhere else. Um, you know, and I think that's a lot of folks... You know, and this may be bad for restaurants. You know, a lot of folks who have been laid off from restaurants, you know, if they get picked up in, you know, let's say they took one of the jobs with Amazon or, um, you know, Costco or, you know, some of these places that, <clears throat> you know, maybe their hourly income is similar or maybe a little more, but they get some benefits that they didn't have, uh, you know, working at the restaurants. You know, there may be, there may be restaurants that are really struggling to replace the workers that, that they lost as well. It'll be, and it will be interesting to, to see what the, what the world, the new world looks like, you know, um, you know, even two years from now and, and, and Neil, maybe we will have another roaring twenties, right? Uh, it's going to be the roaring 2020s. Let's oh. hope we have it without the, uh, 1929. Yes. Ended. Yes, please. <laughs> please, dear God. I mean, I guess, you know, we're on a, we're on a, about a every 10 year, cycle at the moment but i don't i would love i would love to go the rest of my career and not have to emotionally go through something something like this again we've done it twice martin you were around in 2008 i know i know oh it's it's the second time the second time you know it's it's uh <laughs> it, it i think people I, so I, I taped a podcast. I have another one of my podcasts. It's called The Beer Gardens, presented by Oxford Crystal. And I, and I talked to my two daughters and my daughter's uh, roommate at Arkansas on the podcast just to get young people's perception yeah, of this. Yeah, that's a good idea, man. I think it's going to be, when we get back, I think people are going to be so happy to, to resume life. I think, you know, we all – you take you – take, you take uh, anything for granted, right? I mean, it's the, the old cliche that sticks around. You don't know what you have until it's gone. Yeah. Uh, there, there's, you know, the cliches stick around for a reason. And, and that one does for that reason. I think people are going to be so excited that I actually anticipate there's, it's, it's going to be going to be slow for a, a moment, but I think people are going to be so excited that I do think we're in for a boom. I think, I think this assuming the one thing that sticks out in my head a little that makes me have some reservations is I am curious to see, and again, I work in, in, in sports media. I am curious to see whether a healthcare people sign off on large gatherings and then B whether if those gatherings are made available, do people feel confident enough to, to go to them? So that impacts more than sports, you know, that impacts uh, music, theater, uh, the movies, um, I've, like I said, concerts, symphony, um, Broadway, uh, all of that stuff, you know, that people, that's, uh, it's been a part of our culture for as long as any of the three of us can remember. Yeah. How, 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 how soon does someone feel confident going to a play on Broadway? How soon does someone feel confident going to a Grizzlies game in Memphis? How, you know, when those kind of things become available again, my my estimate, my guess is that most people are going to say, "I'm ready. I'm going yep. back. I'm I'm willing to take that chance." I am. There will there will be some people who will obviously be scared and such. I think we'll see more mask. Yeah, for yeah. sure. In, in yeah. society, uh, I, I know I wear one to the grocery store, and it makes me feel a little safer. You just and and will I do that forever? I don't know. Yeah. Will I do it? Will I do it for a while? Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, even if it's uh, a placebo. Know. You know, even if yeah, it's a placebo. E- well, you know, the proof of that, Martin, and you and I talked about this, and, and Marcus, I don't know if you heard it, it was a previous deal. I went to Home Depot three weeks ago, I guess, two, three weeks ago, and I didn't have a mask on, and I was only in there five minutes, and guys, I could feel my throat closing. Now, I'm smart enough to know that even if someone was spraying the coronavirus into my mouth in that moment, I wouldn't immediately feel throat closing. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it was psychological. It's anxiety, but, man. Absolutely. But, but when I wore a mask, Yep. Even though the mask doesn't really protect me, it just protects other people in the event that I'm infected. It made me feel better, and I was able to kind of function more normally. And I, I can't be alone in the, in that sense. Man, it like uh, it's like the little Linus's little safety, his little blanket uh, from the from the peanuts, man. <laughs> Marcos, um, I do want to ask you some questions. So you know, our listeners uh, don't know that so that you, your family is Greek and um, Greece has kind of been in crisis for gosh, a decade, a long, a little longer than a decade. Uh, what, what parallels do you see with what Greece has gone through and kind of what we are? Cause I mean, Greece's economy has just been battered and then it was, it looked like it was really kind of getting a footing and then this happened and, and I know that you know a large part of their of their economy is tourism. Uh, man, talk tell us a little bit talk a little bit about the parallels there with with Greece and the U.S. Yeah, so I've lived through this whole Greek crisis. I, I've been here all, all along. You right. Know, I'm just clear. Um, I I have my mom there and the cousins and so on. Uh, so I'm not there, you know, more than a month, like a year or less. But uh, I've uh, I've seen the crisis play out. You know, I have some real estate in Greece. I have friends. And first of all, I'll start by saying that it's it's not going to be as bad over here. Sure. You know, the Greek crisis, as you said, lasted has lasted actually. If if we add this coronavirus crisis now, I mean, it's probably since two thousand nine or eight. You know, it's been. A declining GDP for year after year. So it's been really brutal. Um, I don't think this is going to happen here. It's a very different situation. Um, I think it's going to bounce back, back much faster. But there are some similarities and things that I've been seeing already, you know, through friends of mine that work in startups or small businesses and so on. One thing that I observed in Greece over this period and, uh, and uh, personally observed because of my real estate is that you started having people uh, bargaining down, you know, their fixed costs, their rents. And that was a process that was going on for years, right? You, you were starting, let's say, with a rent of 3000 You know, one round, you take it down to two and a half. Second round, you take it down to 2000 And what I'm trying to say is that yeah. this pressure across people to cut costs kind of exacerbated the, the, the depression in Greece. Um, it kind of took a life of its own because if I cut my rent, then my, which I have to because I'm not getting income, then my landlord doesn't have as much to spend and it goes on and on and on. It's like a domino effect. Exactly. And this, this played out in Greece in a brutal way, I would say, in a very unpleasant way over a period of 10 years, like on a constantly. Now this is happening in the short term in the U.S. right now, right? right? And it's not what I have to say is that it's not easy because people are used to uh, abiding by the contracts that they've signed, and especially the, the person receiving the money. Even though there's a crisis, it's not easy for that person to say, "Yeah, you know what? You know, I'll, I'll, you don't need to pay me rent for the next three months." So this dynamic of pressure, like to cut, is uh, is kind of similar right now. And what I have to say is that. It needs to stop and stop soon because the longer it goes, the worse it gets in that respect. Um, now, the good news about America is America has its own currency and it's in very good, um, generally, economic foundations. Greece didn't have its currency, couldn't manage its currency. And, um, and that is a big, big difference. So 
as soon as this deflationary spiral kind of um, disappears when things open up, I think things will get back to normal much, much, much faster. Good. So you, so if, if I were to put you uh, on the spot and say, hey, if, uh, if we kind of, even if it's a staggered open, you know, over the next four weeks, six weeks, um, you know, stagger and open to where by Jan, uh, blah, not January, by June 1st, you know, we're kind of, uh, we're back into action, if I can use the words that you said, which I like, because I was about to say normal, and action is is much better than normal. Um, how, long, how, long do you, how long do you feel like uh, it would take us to, to return to uh, fairly close to pre-corona um, levels of activity and, you know, in, in GDP output? It's a very hard question for me to answer because I don't know the uh, how the virus is going to play out but sure. and I don't know how how quickly the stimulus is going to flow in and and take over versus that deflate deflationary effect that I described yeah. um, so what about, a, what about a range then a range I'm an op- I'm an optimist and I, I will have to say it and you know you can hold me accountable in <laughs> In six months, I'll have to say that beginning of 2021 will be back back in decent shape. Okay, I can, and I feel I feel that way too. I don't depart from that at all. And I mean, and I'm, you know, uh, Stacy messes with me, our CEO. He messes with me all the time that, uh, you know, that I'm always the glass is half full. But really, I'm a I'm I'm really the the glass can be refilled type of person. Um, so it can be empty. The glass can be empty at some points. It can be full at some points. But it, my my take is that you can refill the glass. It's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a, has to be one or the other. Um, well, by that point that, that Marcos just n- labeled January of 2021. Yeah. On that day, you look forward to January 1st of 2021. And I think at this point we all do, because I think all of us will tell 2020 to uh, F off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on, on its way out the door. Um <laughs> I mean, on that day, we'll know a lot more about the virus. Yeah, uh, we there will probably be uh, readily available testing for the virus. There will be antibody testings for the virus. Uh, kids will have gone back to school, presumably. I mean, I see these people with these doomsday stuff about schools aren't going to reopen in August. I'm like, man, that that just you have to think about what that would mean. There's just I refuse to believe that. Yeah, and then and then. Uh, the presidential election one way or the other will be over. There will be that uncertainty will be behind us. We'll know who the president is uh, for the next, you know, at least four years or, or whatnot. Um, I just think there will be a lot of certainty as opposed to uncertainty. And while I'm not a market guy and you guys are, I do know that the markets like certainty much more than they like uncertainty. I'm with you with that. And I agree completely. And by that time we'll have, testing everywhere will have um, much more targeted approaches to uh, to hurting the virus if it's still around rather than shutting down an entire economy you can you know shut down a restaurant or a small neighborhood and maybe quarantine a few people rather than doing this in a mass scale one of the reasons we're doing this in a mass scale right now is because we just don't know we don't know who has it the tests are being done as we speak. So by that time, I think it's going to be a very different game, and we're going to be much more prepared and uh, than we are now in terms of uh, in, in terms of our ability to target uh, to target fighting the virus back. Yeah, it's what we talked about early. Uh, what, what we said we were doing was we were trying to flatten the curve. Yep. So that we would not overrun the hospitals. And and I think we, with the exception of perhaps in New York, where they've been hit really hard. And I know there's some other cities that are that are close. But for the most part, we've been able to do that. And we appear to be well on our way. If you look at the numbers in New York, deaths are going down. Admissions are going down. Uh, ICU beds are, are not being filled as to, to the same capacity, we're, we're headed in the right direction. Yeah, I think so. And so that tells you that we've done a good job of what we were said, hey, this is what we're trying to do. We're, we're flattening the curve. When you get on the other side of the curve, as you go down the hill, if you will, everybody everybody will look at, at uh, these curves in their, in their sleep for the next few years. As we go down the hill, we're supposed to be able to start 
you know, like you said, Martin, a, a uh, structured uh, reopen, reopen. Yeah. And so it's, I think, you know, I, I don't know if we're taping this on April the 14th and, you know, I don't know if that starts Monday, if that starts a week from Monday, if that starts May 1st or whenever, but when it starts and it needs to start, when it starts, there's there's a way to do it. And, and, and the point was never, again, the point was never to eradicate the virus. The, the point was to get to a place where the, the, a, a spike in a, in a place wouldn't overrun a hospital system and wouldn't force doctors in this country to have to make decisions that doctors in this country should not have to make. In, in, in a time of peace, we should not, doctors should not be having to make wartime and, and nurses should not be having to decide who lives and who dies in yeah. the hospital. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, Marcos, there is, there's, there's another thing I do want to ask. Cause I mean, I can't have you on our show and, uh, and not talk about this piece. Um, so for our listeners that don't know, uh, Marcos is also a, a very sought after, uh, person and expert and resource on uh, on cryptocurrencies, and so we were talking about you know how does the world look going forward? And I know that you know for a lot of people, the only uh, experience or even maybe uh, uh, understanding of of cryptocurrency has been in just the form of of Bitcoin, but but there are also <clears throat> um, many other uh, forms of cryptocurrency it's a fascinating topic and we could probably dedicate an entire show to just talking about cryptocurrencies, but, but we won't, uh, for this one, we'll just, I want, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, um, the, the world of cryptocurrency, uh, it's, it's also becoming, you know, should it be a part of people's portfolios? Um, you know, I know it's coming into the fray a lot more rapid today than it, than it was. <clears throat> um, I know a couple years back we had this, Huge, huge run up in uh, valuations and price for Bitcoin, followed by, you know, a precipitous fall as well. Um, spend a little time talking talking to us about that that area of one currencies, uh, and then two, you know, investment opportunities. Hold on, Marcus. Uh, I think did you mute? Did you accidentally mute or? So sorry, no. sorry. I was now now. <laughs> You're good. You can edit that after, right? Uh, no, I won't. No, I actually it'll, I can't edit be, it, but it'll be fine. all right. <laughs> okay, okay. I um now I'm unmuted, but I I was uh, I was saying that I have a deep interest in uh, in the crypto space because it's a very interesting space to to look at uh, for many reasons that I can go into, but I don't recommend it for everybody. Just to be clear. Good. It's a very risky space. As was shown in 2017, there are also a lot of people uh, that are trying to scam others out mm. of their money, and people need to be really cautious and careful. Uh, but with that said, um, I do think that it's a very, very interesting and fascinating space for the reason that it has potentially, and I call crypto and blockchain kind of one thing. Okay. This whole space has potential implications, you know, for many industries and has many interesting projects going on. I would say that all of these projects that are going on are very early stages as, as if you're in investing in venture capital in the pre-web days, right, when it was very, very early. So it's very risky in that respect as well. Now, Bitcoin is the most famous one because it's been around since 2008 and it was the first blockchain the first crypto asset was the first asset that could be transacted outside of the traditional financial system in a disintermediated and decentralized way and it was the first asset that had programmed into its uh, existence a certain uh, limit in its supply so in that sense you know bitcoin developed you know over the years a narrative around digital gold, right? The, what, what people talk about when they talk about Bitcoin is, is a form of gold, a form of hard asset okay. with a fixed supply, right? And of course, you know, there have been many attempts to replicate Bitcoin and uh, other crypto assets, but most of them have failed and they failed because of network effects. You know, as more and more people 
buy Bitcoin, there are more exchanges to buy Bitcoin, there are more wallets for Bitcoin, there are more startups built on top of Bitcoin. So Bitcoin has kind of won that digital gold narrative. And it's relevant in this world because we talked a bit about the money printing and we talked a bit about the fiscal stimulus and all of that. And, yep. you know, there's a scenario in which, you know, money is going to be devalued, broadly speaking, in the future, especially if there's inflation. So having your money in something like gold or Bitcoin could be a good hedge for that. Right. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that Bitcoin and gold are the same thing. Gold is ob obviously has gone through the test of time. So I, if I were to buy between the two, I'd definitely overweight gold for that purpose. But I do have my personal assets. You know, um, I have a, a small position in Bitcoin um, because of its hard money kind of narrative and because of the network effects it's had, meaning it's become dominant. Even though it's not the best blockchain, it's slow. There are many issues around it it's still kind of beaten a lot of the replicas around it. And it's because right. of these network effects. So do you think that, do you think that as we move out of this, um, you know, out of this time in our, in our lives where, you know, I've seen, uh, you know, people are, are more hesitant to exchange currency with each other because of not knowing, you know, have you touched, you know, are you infected? Um, has this money been in the hands of someone who's infected and people are kind of, you know, really going to, uh, not extremes, but just over cautious about, you know, not knowing where currencies has been, even though if you swab a dollar bill and test what all's on a dollar bill, it's, it is, it is, it is not a sanitary, <laughs> a sanitary surface at all. Um, and I was just wondering, would we end up shifting into some form of, uh, uh, contactless currency exchange. And I realize you can do that with, um, you know, with your credit cards already. Um, but does this just open the door for, um, more businesses or more people or more opportunities for cryptocurrencies to really kind of step into, um, you know, the everyday life or practice of, you know, in everyday life. I, I do believe so. Yeah. As there, uh, there's less physical currency exchange, and you did mention credit cards, and there's obviously things like Venmo and PayPal, which you know you can transact online, but you're not right. transacting money. You're transacting IOUs. I mean, it's not really money. It's there's it's an interface that connects the traditional financial system with you. Right. And the reality is that if a stable coin, what's called a stable coin, let's say a, a cryptocurrency pegged to the dollar, that that's what the Libra project has been trying to, to do. Of course, you know, with a Facebook name behind it, it, it hasn't gone far. Right. But right. there are other projects like that. If you manage to create a cryptocurrency that's backed by the dollar um, and you, you can start transacting actually real dollars, not IOUs, not, uh, you know, an interface like with Venmo or PayPal, but actual dollars, you can, can start being transacted, you know, through your phone, through your um, computer, and um, and that is the ex it's the exact same thing as if you were transacting physical dollars. So yeah, so in theory, this whole coronavirus situation should be helpful to push things towards that direction. The other thing I want to mention is that there are about 1.7 billion people estimated that don't have bank accounts. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't ba have a bank account, you can't use venmo you can't use paypal but you could use a stable coin because it's just uh passed through uh, wallets and each other you know just simply through the internet hmm. so yeah. i think a stable coin could potentially pull uh, a certain part of the global population into the financial system yeah and i know that and and not that i'm not tying these two together but it just, I'm ADD and my head goes a million different directions. You know, when you talked about, you know, a large section of our population that, you know, is either, uh, doesn't bank or doesn't have, or, or it's unbankable and doesn't have a checking account. And right now I, I read that, you know, with, with the IRS, one of the issues that they're having with trying to do the direct deposit piece as well as, you know, folks trying to get money quickly into folks, um, 
uh, hands for the economic relief, the $1,200 per adult is, uh, is that a large section of the population doesn't have a, does not have a bank account. Uh, so it's, yeah. you know, it's yeah. difficult for them to get a direct deposit. And then, uh, so if they don't have a bank account, uh, they can't deposit their check either. They're having to go to, um, you know, these little, and at least in our, in the deep South, it's usually gas stations in neighborhoods that will, uh, cash a government check and they'll take, you know, 5% or 8% of the check and, and then turn it into cash for, um, you know, for, for that person that doesn't have a bank account. Exactly. Imagine in the States, the, the, the richest, if, if not the richest, one of the richest countries in the world, definitely the most powerful, there are people without bank accounts. Imagine all around the world. So yeah. I think blockchain technology can help with that. We're still early and there are issues around it that I'm not going to go into now. I mean, sure. they're too technical, but I think it could help down the road to democratize finance. Yeah, we'll see how we'll see where it heads. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Hey, before we wrap up, I want to tell you guys that this podcast is also brought to you by the refrigeration company, TRC, owned and operated by Jeremy Watler, who's been in the refrigeration field for more than 20 years, including five as a national service manager at TRC. They understand that great service means being responsive, and their highly trained, responsible, and dedicated staff are available 24-7 to ensure your complete satisfaction. They specialize in ammonia refrigeration, but they work on any other HFC, HCFC, or CO2 systems. They're building winning relationships with customers in baking, cold storage warehouses, ice production facilities, and facilities serving dairy, food, poultry, and catfish processing. TRC is based in Spanish Fort, Alabama. They're licensed in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, and South Carolina as well. They can handle all of your company's refrigeration needs, including installation, fabrication, service, compressor rebuilds, ammonia detection, calibration, vibration analysis, and more. To learn more, call Jeremy Watler, 251-348-8533, or email him at jeremy at therefrigco.com. You can follow him uh, at The Refrigeration Company on Facebook or at their website, therefrigco.com. We're also brought to you by Elite Dental Care with offices throughout West Tennessee in Germantown, Jackson, and Trenton. Elite Dental Care has five doctors with more than 75 years of combined experience and with their different areas of expertise. The doctors at Elite Dental Care offer convenience along with the latest in technology. In addition, Elite Dental Care is a family practice, so the entire family can be seen no matter the age or severity of problems. They focus on staying up to date on all the latest technology, including intraoral cameras, digital x-rays and impressions, 3D x-rays, and more. There are uh, TVs and radios in every room. Gives patients the uh, comforts of home, all while they receive the most modern technological treatment. Elite Dental Care offers both conscious sedation and IV sedation for uh, patients that are anxious or scared or for those that might not be fearful but just have a lot of work to do and can't afford to take time off work for multiple visits. And with sedation, Elite Dental Care is able to get much more work done in one visit, which ultimately saves the patient time and money. So if you're looking for a dentist in West Tennessee or the Memphis area, get in touch with Dr. Mark Harper, Dr. Clint Buchanan, and Dr. Mike Farah at Elite Dental Care. To reach the office, the uh, doctors at Elite Dental Care, go to EliteDentalCare.com or follow them on Facebook and or Instagram. Martin? Appreciate you, Neil. Um, <clears throat> Marcos, I know, uh, man, we've, we've, we've tackled <laughs> so much on on this show um, already. I mean, we've talked about what's going to be the impact to small businesses, the amount of relief, what needs to be done, you know, what else needs to be done. We've talked about recovery. We've talked about crypto. Um, I feel like I've, I feel like I'm, I'm missing something uh, and I'm totally drawing a blank here. Um, I feel like I'm missing something other than your story. You know, uh, we kind of jumped right in too. What have what have we missed that you would, that you would want to talk about or or think is important that we we should mention before we jump off here? No, I, I, first of all, we did cover a lot of territory. <laughs> we like, have <laughs> yes, around the world I, and back. So exactly, exactly. So uh, I don't. I think we covered all the topics we said we were going to cover and and more. I feel um, 
we even talked about Greece, which was was something you you wanted to talk about in terms of a parallelism here. Yeah. What I have to say by closing is that um, what I observed from Greece is uh, that could be a something um, that could happen here as well. I think that over time, I, at least initially there was tensions uh, building up, you know, from people. But over time, I think people became better, you know, more empathetic towards each other. So I, I think that this crisis could be a, a blessing in disguise in terms of people having more empathy towards one another and working um, closer together to, to tackle problems. Um, that's my hope here, and I think uh, it will bring people together. I certainly hope you're right. Uh, and, 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 you know, it, it, typically that's, that's what happens, like post-9-11, yeah. people were... People were far nicer to each other for a while. And then after a while, we got back to being mean to each other. That's true. That's true. You all, but, you, when the bull market is back, you know, you're... Everyone's stepping on each other's throats, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I mean, and we see that a lot in the Deep South. You know, I mean, we've we've certainly had a lot of, you know, I think about Hurricane Katrina. Um, you know, over the Easter weekend, we had some insane weather here there was tornadoes um that really caused a lot of damage to a lot of places my mother's hometown um was hit by an f5 tornado and it did a lot of damage uh down in south mississippi and you know one of the things that i love about the deep south and really i love about america as well as you're right is when um you know when things get tough it's you know, we, we all pull together and you see people out with, in the South, we call it, you know, chainsaws and casseroles, man. That's what happens after a, a tornado. The men get out with chainsaws to chop up trees, to clear paths. And, you know, and the wives are, you know, making food for people who lost their homes. It's just, it's really awesome. And that's, I think that's America as well. Exactly. Uh, Marcus. Great. Yeah. Marcus, thanks so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. Uh, stay safe. And uh, we'll look forward to visiting with you again sometime if you'll have us. Thank you guys so much. This was a real pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, for Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this edition of Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Don't forget, pintrust.com, P-I-N-N trust.com. Mention that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on this podcast or on the Oxford Exxon podcast. You'll get 10% off of your first year's fees. Until uh, next time, stay safe. Take care. <laughs>